Welcome to Design for AI. I'm Mark Bailey. Uh, today we'll be talking to Murray Vince. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Xsensor. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Mark. All right, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, uh, I'm a uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Xsensor, which is a Calgary-based high-tech company and uh, a leader in intelligent dynamic sensing. So how does that uh, interact with uh, machine learning? Well, there's an AI um, component to what uh, we're producing at Accenture, and machine learning is uh, one of the subsets of, um, of the AI uh, that we're deploying. It's an emerging area in intelligent dynamic sensing, and it, that enables precise measurement, some very high-quality visualizations, rich data, and AI-powered analytics. When we talk about this a little more, We'll be able to see in the hospital and medical settings how we're able to leverage the machine learning and bring that into some of the solutions. So how did you uh, get involved in machine learning? Well, machine learning was part of the role at uh, Accenture. They're kind of pushing the boundaries of smart sensors, data collection, and this real-time precision measurement. When we're looking at what we can do with the data, we think there's a combination um, that's coming and coming very quickly of smart uh, sensors, data collection, making that data smart as a source of input for AI. And so what topics do you find interesting for design? I see the potential in AI to reduce waste, improve outcomes. It's application of statistical process control to continual improvement. There's a high growth area. We're just starting to understand the lot and unlock the the possibilities. So converging technologies are transforming industries in this area and business process. The essential ingredients of a successful AI system are sensors, data collection point, data, and then AI with machine learning as a subset of AI. The, The overall goal is to build the three elements together so they're integrated, communicating effectively and dynamically optimized to work extremely well together, produce a consistently superior and and ever-improving result. Those elements, sensors with high reliability and accuracy of data, uh, it's the opposite of the garbage in, garbage out. So you start with very high integrity, accurate, reliable data in, improves the opportunity for a high-performing AI system. Uh, The big data is fundamental, Uh, it's foundational, the system needs smart data, which it means actionable visual instrumentation, makes it easy to act upon. AI is the third element, empirically measured to consistently produce a positive outcome as predicted on the data. Machine learning delegation of the mundane tasks for labor saving, machine precision, and record keeping. And how have you customized uh, machine learning specifically for your customers? There's about 60,000 deaths a year in the United States from pressure ulcers. Uh, And they're often hospital acquired. There's a new acronym called HAPU, a hospital acquired pressure ulcer. And what happens is the patient is bedridden and unable to move and uh, their body weight causes uh, an ulcer on the skin. We're able to determine where that pressure forms. And with the aggregation of data, feeding very accurate data about where that's likely to, to build up, We could tie that into a servo on the hospital uh, bed and be able to adjust a slight inclination that will change the pressure for the patient and altogether avoid the injury. 
So it's a combination of the of technologies that's available. We've got some great sensors, apply AI, machine learning to a mechanical solution servo in the bed, and make a mild to moderate adjustment in the bed um, for the patient and, and avoid that uh, pain point altogether. So how does machine learning affect your users? Mark, it's the precision and, and efficiency of the machines over human behavior. I, I think it was machine tools versus handcrafting. If we take a healthcare example, by adding machine learning to elements like cushioned hospital beds or surgical tables, wheelchair seats, an automated machine reaction could take a remedial measure and proactively alleviate discomfort or a potential injury. With feedback and parameters established in advance through human programming and empirical data for decision-making, the AI input to machine learning can continually improve the capabilities of the system. Smart sensors, smart data analytics, AL and ML. Healthcare AI software is bound by predetermined goals, and unlike humans, it's not going to be able to adjust those goals independently. The software will only perform within the predetermined boundaries until those boundaries are expanded by human intervention or authorization. And this is going to take some time. It's going to take clinical validation and step or tiered approval before we can relinquish complete control to machine learning remedial measures. But but it's coming. It'll come in time, and I believe it's coming quickly. Now let's go ahead and talk about your process. So uh, why don't you go ahead and walk me through the process of how you get your customer what they need and what they want. Mark, it starts with identifying the problems the customers face. I, I, I love the Henry Ford story um, that he said if he'd asked customers what they wanted, they, they would have said faster horses. They wouldn't have conceived of automobiles. It's that depth of expertise in the technology to envision a solution um, that addresses the customer problem. Uh, then we build prototypes, test, prove the value of the solution kind of over and over again, particularly in healthcare. We've safety is a paramount concern. And, and then in the business development and sales process. And so what have you found for best practices while you're doing that? Listening and observing um, how the machine works with the customers in a clinical setting, um, observation is really critically important. Uh, we don't argue with the customers, but our, our staff and our R&D team, product development, are intensely curious about understanding the customer experience. And, and we have two levels of, of customer in a clinical setting, for example. We, we have the medical staff, and then, and then you have the patient experience. We look at a competitive matrix that evaluates uh, feature parity uh, to know that we're delivering a product that's at least as good as what's on the market and then some added feature differentiation to be able to, to pull apart. The cost of the problem, price of solution, total addressable market. We, we want to have a tightly integrated team of engineers, product management, and business development. And, and those teams need to come together to get the product concepts from the realization process to reality, market, and eventually revenue. And the efforts ultimately validated by customer adoption and the willingness to pay for the solution that's been developed. We, we listen, improve, and know when to stop investing when the solution isn't supported by market demand. Uh, to create a prototype that we could test, in the concept prototype phase, there's about three outcomes when we try something, we put that trial balloon up. 
And we're very rigorous about applying this. When we, when we make an investment in something, try to make it work, we step back with the data afterwards and ask ourselves if it worked um, by, by metrics and measurements, um, then we invest in that success. The second opportunity is it didn't work, but we really believe there's something we could do differently. And with the proposed modifications, we try again and measure it again. The third outcome that we, that we look at is, whoa, um, th- that was a really bad idea. Let's learn from it, document it, and don't repeat it ever. And so how do you transfer the, the data that you're collecting to assist in creating that prototype? The data collection is ongoing. With intelligent dynamic sensing, we're always gathering real-time data. The amount of data that we can gather, whether it's in a high-speed auto um, situation or in seating tests, hospital mattress, is pretty massive. The data then is uh, collected in in a format um, and we work with the clinicians to be able to determine what an appropriate response would be. Is a 1% inclination going to work to alleviate the situation or is 2% required? And then there's always a boundary of if you're adjusting a surgical table or a hospital mattress, the safety of the patient, you, you don't want to tip them off that surface. So there's some very small minor adjustments. Um, the data is reviewed uh, by the mechanical team. Uh, it's reviewed by our AI, our AI team. And then they work together to determine how to package that and in increments be able to provide a recommended engine that makes the adjustments. At this stage, particularly in healthcare, it's still human intervention. So what are the metrics that you found to be the most helpful for the prototypes? The four boundaries of the project are time, expense, features, and revenue upside. We, we document those and make sure the team is bought into them. Um, any team member that isn't and, and doesn't believe it's attainable really needs to look for a, for a different project. Then we turn the team loose uh, with the boundaries. They cycle back only when they're outside of boundaries, and that, that stage is called a boundary review. Um, any reason that they see or anticipate some element will take them outside of those boundaries of time, expense, features, and revenue upside. Um, could be competitive news, could be a new technology. They get the combined team together and they reevaluate the boundaries. As, does the project still hold? Is it still viable? Uh, do we need to update? Um, do the resources need to change? Do the expectations need to change? Should the project proceed if the boundaries um, if the boundaries made the targets unviable. The AI metric specifically, what we look at is does the AI solution present a cost-effective solution over the current process, state of technology, labor costs involved in the current situation. We're really looking for that improvement. Um, Working really closely with the marketing team, we set expectations about what we need to attain, let the team do their job, get out of their way, and have them come back to you as they sense that it's either delivering and working or something's happened that needs to evolve. So what are the goals that you're trying to accomplish? That's the product vision and the boundaries. It's clearly defined for engineering, product management, business development. Engineering doesn't deliver something that can't be sold. And business development doesn't expect something that cannot be built. There's an ability to tactfully say no and, and be able to set that limit. And that's a critical aspect of the teamwork and working on objective goals for the benefits of the business. There's also at the end of the discussion, there's a gap analysis that's pretty important. 
And that's between the aspirational goal of what the, the team has set for uh, product targets and the avail available resources. You have to ensure that engineering is the resources required. Um, that's the expense element of the boundaries, measuring the capital and human resources involved monetarily to deliver. If there's a gap, either the resources need to increase to close that gap, or the goal needs to be reset to meet the available resources. You, you can't have that gap. You'll leave people feeling unfulfilled, dissatisfied, and unable to attain the target that's been set for them. That gap analysis is critically important. Let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit to the teaching that you've done. I'm sure, you know, anytime you introduce machine learning into a new product, you know, you have to convince or to persuade a lot of the stakeholders. And so I'm kind of curious, just, uh, you know, what, what are the kind of questions that you've seen from stakeholders and how have you need to change their views over time? Well, we've seen uh, a lot of questions about how this will evolve, what's involved. Uh, traditionally, a hardware company, uh, the sensor engineers wonder if we're becoming a software company. And foundationally, the ability to gather highly accurate, reliable data um, is, is a key element of what we're doing. If we, we think of the old axiom about garbage in, garbage out, well, with AI, it's critically important. If you start with high integrity, accurate, reliable data in, you improve the efficacy of the AI system. So it, it's really not about an engineering lead to the business or a business leading an engineering team. It's about an integrated team working across the functions um, with some mutually shared and commonly agreed upon goals. And they, they drive an optimal result for the business when you have that kind of teamwork. The team challenges each other respectfully. Um, they collaborate on the decisions. They decide and move forward. The questions are ongoing, but they're coming from product management who's doing that market study. They're coming from the engineering team about how the technology is going to apply. Finance gets involved to make sure the budget is there. And the business development team is giving real-time customer feedback about how that market's evolving and what we're going to need to do. There's, there's a time for debate and exchange of ideas. But once that decision's made by the project owner and the team, the entire team moves forward. And what have you done to help teach people? Teaching people about the process, instead of working about silos, socializing something like the uh, ORP, the OARP tool, that's an establishing an owner, a clear approver, reviewers, and participants. Everyone knows their role and where they're adding value in the process. So documenting, defining the process, continually refining it as the term learns together. And they identify things that don't work, change and update the process. We apply an engineering principle of following documented process to, to how we bring these teams together. Even if they're not engineering teams, product management, business development, get on board. This means meeting at regular intervals with each functional team to highlight what's been done since the last meeting, what work's going to be delivered by the next meeting. And three, this is an opportunity for the team members to raise their hand and say, look, I have a red flag issue. I have an impediment preventing me from getting my job done and meeting my commitments to the team. And that lets the leadership have visibility into what's working well and where there's challenges. You can ide ideally identify those issues early so they're red flag 
with enough time to remediate them before they become critical path and red flag issues. But we're trying to foster an environment of working together, mutual support and dependency, not, not letting each other down. Everyone is suited to this sort of project for the first time through there. You might have some chronic delinquents or people who are ramping up. And, and those are teaching moments in terms of coaching people like how to get through this. And, and I've seen very positive responses to it. You don't want to over overindulge kind of the toxic, brilliant engineer. Um, teamwork is really what ends up pulling this off. Since you do so much work with medical stuff, as you're working with all of this, this information, how do you ensure the privacy while also at the same time interacting with all of the stakeholders? A lot of the data is aggregated. Uh, it's not specific to individuals, so you don't tie PII into inclinations of elevation or when a HAPU occurs. Uh, there's uh, protocols to follow, particularly in the United States, like the HIPAA requirements uh, for personal health information. Uh, network security is incredibly important, uh, making sure that the engineers and the product team are satisfied in meeting and compliant with the requirements for protection of PII. But largely the data that we're working on to make AI and machine learning effective is aggregated in high level without a specific patient or individual ever identified. And on the user side of it, what have you been working on to make the machine learning more human, you know, especially for a big one is AI fairness? Well, uh, one of the things I'd point out, there's a recent article on uh, five fundamentals of AI entitled Five Guiding Principles for Responsible Use of AI in Healthcare. And that's by Hank Van Houten, the CTO at Philips. The fourth principle that Hank raises is fairness. And, and he succinctly captures that principle, which, which I support 100%, is AI-enabled solutions must be developed and validated using data that's representative of the target group for the intended use while avoiding bias and discrimination. Um, you know, there's a, there's a necessary foundational piece with highly accurate sensors that, that ensures the quality of data in and secure real-time data flow to make the data smart, reliable, and accurate. But it's up to us to be really diligent about collecting a diverse sample size and recognizing kind of the outliers to primary to make sure that that we're treating all possible patients uh, fairly and considering their circumstances before applying an AI solution to them. That sounds like it also applies to, you know, the machine learning transparency. Yes. One of the things I'd look at is the uh, kind of the medical axiom that's like first, first do no harm. I think it's primum non non sere. Um, my Latin's not that good, so forgive my pronunciation. <laughs> uh, but... Hank Van Houten's got the five principles again, and he's researched this in depth and given extensive thought to issues in healthcare and AI. I, I really like how he articulates a guiding principle of transparency that AI-enabled solutions require disclosure on which functions and features are AI-enabled, the validation process, and responsibility for ultimate decision-taking. And, and particularly in healthcare, you want to know that a doctor has supervised and overseen what will be administered. Um, that's a forthright principle as a foundation for AI in healthcare. It'll apply in other areas as well where there's safety and certainty of outcome um, as, as a question. And, 
And Hank's articles provoke thought, and there's elements of the five principles of ethics I'm still mulling over. Um, his outline is a solid foundation of how to move forward with AI on some common objective principles. Um, you know, I'd, I'd introduce another technology at this point, and, and I think blockchain recording uh, in a ledger for the AI-enabled functions and features, uh, the validation process, could be very useful in terms of being able to establish the foundation and validity um, for the AI that is being applied. Yeah, no, and especially I would say for um, for the medical industry that you're going to have a big problem with accessibility. And so, uh, you know, what have, what have you done as far as doing inclusive design since that's so important whenever you're doing machine learning? Absolutely. I think that falls into part of fairness and transparency, but being thorough is going to be critically important. I know with human frailties, I mean, the broad we, everyone involved in applying AI in healthcare has is, is got to be conscientious about this. Something will fall through the gaps. It's inevitable. It's just, it's just human performance. Um, there will be imperfections. It's how we're going to address those, those omissions uh, earnestly and honestly that'll be compelling. There, there's a risk in adopting new technologies, but the system's potential for continual improvement and ever-improving outcomes is the goal. Um, again, it comes back to that machine precision and ability to reproduce an outcome versus the handcrafting. It's going to take some time and some study we're going to have to step back sometimes and say, ooh, we forgot a certain source of input and go and recover that. But the benefits long-term will outweigh the costs of the emissions on a, on a societal scale, on a, like a macroeconomic. Is this overall better for society or worse for society? I believe it will improve patient healthcare. It will reduce healthcare costs. It will free up time for healthcare professionals. It is the right direction. But we conscientiously have to go and backfill gaps and be honest about them when we recognize them. And for all the progress that you made, what are some of the problems that you haven't been able to find the answers to yet? Well, what, what's the right threshold to trust AI outcomes without human supervision or intervention? That's, that's a massive one that we're grappling with. When do we actually feel comfortable that we can turn something over um, to AI and, and, and be complacent or know that it will be done and be reproduced? Is it a testbed of 10,000? Is it a testbed of 100,000? Um, I also think there's an assurance level that there's an AI off switch, that it's in place, and it cannot be overridden. Um, I, I'd fall back on the ethics fears and discussions on, on a potentially destructive capability of, of AI. And we've seen discussions by Nathan Mirvold and Elon Musk in terms of their concern about what happens if we turn AI loose. Um, they've invested a lot of time in that discussion. So particularly in healthcare, we have to be very careful. The clinical evidence has got to be there. We have to have a step function. And when we find things we've overlooked that are not representative of a broader population, we need to be candid about them and go back and fix them. Have you done any work uh, with a uh, machine learning in um, making sure that people don't overtrust the AI? 
I think that's got to be based on the user interface, uh, visualization, and multi-channel messaging through applications and a management dashboard, visualization, advanced warning before machine learning can take a remedial measure. Perhaps in the early stage, it will have to be human authorization for that to happen. It would not be fully automated. Um, you may need uh, mobile notice uh, for users or operators that are close to the impacts, such as a nurse on the floor uh, would have to know uh, that a certain patient's being adjusted before something happens, so they could observe. Especially for healthcare, that first do no harm maxim has got to be the standard for letting AI proactively take a remedial measure. Human intervention, or, or at least some monitored approval, I believe is going to be the norm until we attain a threshold of certainty about the safety, first and foremost, and, and consistency of the AI measures and outcomes. And so how do you make sure the model is adapting to the user and basically the users aren't adapting to the model? Well, we have to learn from the data. Uh, that's going to take discipline, patience, and extensive testing. We we don't want to become slaves to the machine. I, I ask myself that every night when, when I wake up in the middle of the night to plug my cell phone in to make sure I have enough charge the next morning. It's like, why am I inconveniencing myself for the sake of a machine? Um, and, and we have to be conscious of that. Are we existing to service the machine? Or is the machine there as an extension of human capability as a tool for us to serve our needs. We need to set objective goals for desired outcomes of the AI models, and we need to reserve the right to be better informed by the data and make smarter decisions or allow AI within pre-established parameters to, to make the decisions and report on them. Human beings, Luddites accepted, adapt to technology and machines, but machines are ultimately an extension of human capability. Retaining human control of the operation is paramount. The runaway machine hypothetical is kind of the nightmare of science fiction that, that we can imagine in our reality. And that's, that's how from 2001. That's a, that's a system, control system, that has taken over and is denying human intervention. That, that becomes a nightmare. Yeah. And so when you're designing the products, um, so I'm kind of curious, what have you noticed that's different from the normal user experience when you're creating machine learning? There's the amount of data that needs to be provided. Uh, there's a real-time, particularly healthcare, there's a real-time aspect of it. It has to be immediate. The visualization, not in reams of numbers that, that appear on the screen, but a visualization, kind of a red, yellow, green, where are the pressure points uh, so that the medical staff could immediately recognize where the, where the issues are. Um, the other thing that's coming that, that I think would be really interesting is how are we going to take that data flow and apply the AI to continual improvement of the user experience, of the UX and the UI? How do we inform ourselves and apply the very tools we're using so that we can see improvements and know how to improve the visualization, the alerts, and the control systems? And so when you're designing it, how do you decide when the machine learning is the right tool to use as opposed to another solution? I think it's uncertainty of the measured outcome. Um, you set a target 
uh, for the development. And the system rests on three pillars, sensors, data, and, and AI machine learning. We've got to measure and use the data to calibrate the performance to meet our expectations and objective outcomes. We embrace data as a pillar of the system and a source of human oversight, particularly in setting the boundaries for AI performance. When it's not approximating what we've determined it should do, when it's outside by an allowed tolerance, humans need to take over and intervene. And so also when you're designing the product, um, how do you take care of the edge cases? Increments. I believe increments and step function will be the way to do it. Empirical measurement, consistency of outcome, statistical process control, straight out of Deming, and a step function to test and expand the boundaries of AI performance as the outcome becomes predictable with like nine sigma measures of reliability, particularly in healthcare where safety is paramount. First, do no harm. The first systems may likely be just information reporting for human intervention uh, or human activated machine response. And then over time, allowing the machine response within ranges that produce the desired outcome with certainty. Uh, informed clinical trials would be used to test new boundaries. We do this right now with MedTech. We have extensive clinical trials before we get approval. We'll apply that process procedure um, to make sure that AI is doing what's expected of it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, so just to wrap up, um, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they contact you? Uh, I believe I'm the only Murray Vince on LinkedIn. Uh, that's possible. And email is murray at com. And are, is there anything that you're working on now or that is soon to be released that you'd like to people to know about? There's intelligent dynamic sensing products in healthcare. Uh, they're on the cusp. We'll see those soon. Um, IDS enables precision measurement, high quality visualizations, rich data with AI powered analysis, resulting in optimized performance, comfort, safety for clinical support and uh, patient outcomes. With AI-based IDS, we'll see um, better monitoring, alerts, data analytics from surfaces, dynamic motion. Um, there's a lot coming. Um, we'll start being able to reveal the data that's always been in concealed surfaces and dynamic data that people haven't seen before. We're going to see more of it. It's very rich data. It's visualized, and it's going to be helpful. I agree. And uh, are there any other interesting events that are or releases that you've heard of that are coming up in the uh, machine learning space? There are a few uh, in uh, March of 2020. Um, there's an AI Builder Showcase in San Jose. Uh, there's an AI Summit in Dublin uh, later this month. And April, there's the Global Artificial Intelligence Conference in Seattle, uh, which is my hometown. Uh, but we'll see if the, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak affects um, the attendance and uh, some of yeah. those events are being canceled. Yeah, no, I'm scheduled to talk at the uh, one in Seattle as well. So I'm kind of curious to see if that one's going to be going through. Great. I'll see you there. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for talking on the show. And thank you to everyone out there listening. I'd like to hear from you, too. So go ahead, and if you have any questions, use your phone to record a voice memo, then email it to podcast at designforai.com. It's really an awesome way for me to know what questions you have, and also if you have any comments, uh, record a message for those too. 
If any of you know anyone that I should be interviewing for the podcast, let me know for that as well. And to find out what I'm up to, you can find me on Twitter at Design for AI. Thank you again, and remember, with how powerful AI is, let's design it to be usable for everyone.